Hello and welcome back to the show. You're listening to I Don't Deserve a Podcast, Episode 5, The Fragile Art of Live Events, with special guest, Wilson Lynn. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Luke Peters. Uh, I don't deserve a podcast, but I hope I deserve your attention for a really amazing episode. I have an old friend of mine. I met him through Ryerson. Uh, he does a lot of event production, um, audio, video, the whole nine yards. Ladies and gentlemen, Wilson, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, um, Maybe people don't know you personally, but they probably have come to one of your like events throughout the city in Toronto. Can you talk to us just about some of the projects you worked on where people might have seen your handiwork? Uh, in the past, I've worked with TEDx Toronto, uh, the Toronto for Everyone crew who built the Honest Ed's farewell party, the farewell weekend. Uh, we've also worked with uh, Social Innovation Conference, uh, the Annex Hotel, and I'm uh, also a resident at the Neighborhood Studios in the East End. Cool. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to bring you on was for kind of a few things. One was to uh, chat with you about what it's like to do more of the event side, where a lot of the people I've had on are more artists promoting themselves, where you're more along the lines of helping people kind of like kind of achieve a vision, if that makes sense. Um, and also chat with you about kind of like your kind of come up, like this, some of the stuff that you've had to work on, like where the scale you're kind of seeing going and where you see kind of event production and event programming going, going forward, like be that live streaming, be that um, better equipment, be that different kind of venues. Um, so when did you go to school for, for all this stuff or was it kind of self-taught? Uh, I did not go to school for this. This is all kind of learned by the seat of my pants, mm -hmm. uh, self-taught slash opportunities that I've been very fortunate to, to receive. Yeah, so why don't you talk to us, like, what kind of started it all off? Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Negan, offered to, for me to come on to the TEDx Toronto after-party team. Uh, I had no event experience at that time. I was in marketing and advertising, and I was doing pretty well in that field, but um, there was an itch that I wanted to scratch, which was to see what happens when you throw parties and throw events. We did the uh, Toronto TEDx, TEDx Toronto after-party, and it was a great success. And from there, uh, we kind of snowballed into a handful of other small video productions, technical productions, and then all of a sudden we're doing, you know, thousand-person fundraisers and big events. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really funny because the first time I actually saw you was in what, well, I mean, now it's the alumni space, but what was the um, transmedia zone at Ryerson struggling to figure out how to stream from uh, like a big television camera. And you're like, I just hear like, you're like, what if we do this? What if we do this? And I come over and I'm like, I live streamed once and I'm trying to help. And I'm like, have you tried turning it on and on again? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, like it's such a it's such a thing with like live streaming where like there was this whole craze where people would be like just live streaming themselves on Facebook. Like we had like Periscope and all these other applications where it was very much almost like a social thing. And as the platform developed, we have more and more like actual shows using live streams are at advantage. Like um, recently I watched the Star Wars Celebration. They live streamed everything. They had like yeah. three cameras set up at least and they were switching through everything and you get more of the the television-esque vibe to it sure. when you're doing that live 
So what have you been doing with uh, Ryerson specifically? Because I know you've, you've kind of bounced around this, this neck of the woods a little bit. Uh, so with Ryerson, I'm now the tech advisor for the Transmedia Zone. At the time when you met me, I was a, I guess, I called it like a resident or like an artist. Yeah, a resident, like yeah. Artist resident kind of at that time. And then uh, my technical skills kind of got built up. And now they've asked me to be the live stream technical advisor for the Transmedia Zone members. And... I worked with uh, Cyrus Sundar Singh, and we actually produced the Africville in Black and White documentary, which we did as a live theater performance that we live streamed to Halifax, as well as had a Halifax live stream back to Toronto. Wow. Um, that was actually part of Hot Docs 2017. So you've kind of like gone through the gambit of it. You've been kind of like just being thrown into uh, show after show. Yeah, thrown into the deep end where I really, when you saw me, I really had no idea how to do the multi-camera live stream. Yeah. And I got lucky. Uh, a friend of mine, Simon, brought me onto Art Battle, let me do a test run with him. So we did a three-camera multi-cam live stream with audio and the whole whole shebang. And we pulled it off. It was a great success. And that led us into the Africville project. Yeah. And then from there, we, we've done a handful of other little live streams here and there. Like you said, sometimes it's just like literally recording yourself doing whatever it is on Periscope. But now we've done actual big corporate gigs as well. So Yeah. Like I my background with live stream is I did a I did a, like a, a live stream, like almost like improv talk show for a really long time. And it kind of developed in the way that I wanted to be more like a better quality, and so I started using programs like OBS and started getting better cameras. Like I have 4K webcams now, but I find that usually the spaces aren't really set up for it, like with Wi-Fi and sound and lighting and everything like that. Is there was there ever like a show that you did where you were like? Everything went great, but you're, there's like there's one or two limitations that you could have did better next time. That sounds like every show. It's, yeah, it's we we try to do the pre the like a pre check to make sure that the Wi-Fi generally if the Wi-Fi is good enough, but also we would love to have a hard line internet just to make sure the internet isn't the issue when it comes to live stream, and then it's just stuff like people don't speak into the mics, so the audio doesn't come through on the live stream, or. Uh, the lighting is good for in, in set, but isn't great for the actual video for the live stream. So it's, it's stuff that we would be able to test and work on if we had a little bit more time on every production. But that's every producer's dream is to have just a little bit more time. A little bit more time. A little bit yeah. more perfectionist, you know. Yeah. What do you, if, any any horror stories you can tell us about about doing live stream? Like something where you're like, okay, next time I know that this, this is something that I have to worry about. <laughs> Don't try to do a live stream with clean audio on your phone with the sound pack strapped to your back and no batteries because when you don't have the batteries and the sound recorder stops recording you'd have no audio you just have this video live stream of yeah no audio whatsoever yeah because that's the big issue is like when you're doing a live stream it's really hard to change like almost like your input mm -hmm, so sure. it's like once you set like you kind of like set everything up like I did a really amazing show like a talk show and it was probably one of the best ones I've done but the sound guy, I'm not going to out anyone, but I really want to, had been using, so I was using the headphones that I'm wearing right now, and uh, they have an inline mic. And so we had three labs, all plugged into the mixer, all working, and it was picking up just the inline lav, or inline inline mic on our on my head on his headphones. So all you hear is 
<laughs> and it's just like that was the entire show and we had like this guy who came in from like New York he's working has a show like uh, in previews for Broadway right now like I was so livid and we were like okay we're getting levels I'm like are you sure they're the right levels he's like yeah yeah they're fine they're fine don't worry don't worry don't worry and I'm like I have to, and that's the hard thing was when you're hosting, but you're also producing, you don't want to worry about anything else. For sure. And I think that definitely comes when you do more and more shows is you get people you trust and you rely on. And so that kind of comes with time. How big are the teams you're normally working with? Is it pretty small? Uh, I've worked on a range. So I would say the smaller teams are three to five people and the bigger teams are 15 to 20. Uh, and that would range from if we're doing a live stream and a capture as well as if we're doing the actual event production as well, which is setting up the speakers, setting up the stage, setting up all the lighting. So it just depends on what element I get brought in on because I freelance on um, a fairly loose terminology of freelance, which is anything from the ground up. I can either build the whole thing for you or literally come in and just handle one key element of it. Yeah. And what do you find is your preference, if you don't mind me asking? I love being involved from the beginning to the end. Uh, Generally, I'm the bigger projects where it's, hey, we want to know what we can do technically and how we can do it, how much it's going to cost, all the way through to the actual execution, through the cleanup. And it just it lets me feel very involved, but it also gives me a clear picture. There's no surprises because I've... Yeah, no surprises. Yeah, because it's like that's the big issue is like when you come into a shoot, like you could be like, everything's great, everything's great, everything's great. It's like, okay, we got to turn off the, the HVAC or whatever, like mm-hmm. because that's that noise that we were, we were worrying about. And you're like, oh, no, we can't turn that off. I was like... Okay, well, that's not going to work for your audio. Well, then you got to get room tone and you got to yeah. figure out how to edit that out in post. But like stuff like that is definitely something I would love to have some control over or at least have the knowledge going into the event or the video shoot or yeah. whatever it is that, hey, this is going to be an issue if it's not something we can handle fine if it is something we can take care of let's take care of it now so that's not an issue during the shoot i think with like live events definitely it becomes not necessarily a a list of skills but a list of like ability to problem solve it's very much like a logistics game rather than uh, a skills game like you have to be like okay logically how do i tackle this issue not like okay i don't have the mixer for it. It's like you have to be able to have that ability to keep thinking on your toes. Mm-hmm. Was there any shows where you're like, there's no way this is going to work and everything kind of came into place? Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, there was one time we were out in the middle of the forest, essentially. We had brought out the power. We had figured everything else out. The mixer I brought out did not work. Okay. Uh, luckily, in that case, I had actually brought out both a... So we brought out a proper soundboard mixer, and then we brought out a DJ mixer... And we also had like a field mixer, which we'd borrowed from Ryerson. Yeah. Uh, and so our regular soundboard didn't work. And we're like an hour away from show. Uh, most of my, our team was actually split because we had actually had um, a separate show going on that also needed a live mix. So half the team is split. So we're trying to figure it out. We, we actually used the field mixer plugged into the DJ mixer because there was three instruments that needed to plug in and the DJ mixer didn't take XLRs, they only take RCAs. Yeah. So it was just this complicated, figure it out, adapt on the fly, problem solve, think on your feet, and really, really it's just trying to see what could plug into what and still get you the end result that you need. Yeah. And then just mixing it from there and making sure that you get some sort of audio so that the show can go on. Yeah. Uh, But it is a lot of adaptability. It is a lot of just figuring stuff out on the fly. 
being willing to try try stuff until it works. Yeah, I find that I find that a lot with uh, definitely with live stuff. You have that like anywhere from an hour to two minutes to get everything organized, and once you start, you kind of are just like sitting there watching, and you're just like. It's almost like you're you're watching like a bull slowly walk through a china shop <laughs> and you're like, okay, oh, he knocked that, but it's fine. Everything's fine. And he just leaves. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> nothing got knocked over. I wish we, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, like I have had so many shows where it's just like, it's just like, you know that everything is hanging on by a string. Uh, I did a, a talk show where I had everything on books because the mics were too sensitive or weren't sensitive enough so they weren't picking up the the actors uh, talking and so we had like a stack so I had to run down to the bar and ask around and see if anyone had books that we could borrow and so because they needed to have their hands free and like I was like okay I could have them hold it but it kind of ruins the purpose of what we were doing because we were playing D&D on stage yeah. like Dungeons and Dragons yeah. so it was just like they need to have their hands free. I don't want to have them holding the mic because that's going to be even worse. And it was just like absolute. It looked like it was a bookstore. Like it, like there was just stacks <laughs> and stacks of these books on stage. And I was like, th- this wouldn't be an issue if it wasn't live. Because when you're doing it live, you have so many more things to worry about. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, so you've been freelancing for a few years now. It seems like it was more of like a passion to start into it than rather like this was kind of like something that you were thinking about for a while? Yeah, for sure. It was, it was like I said, an invitation from a friend to, to join her team. And then from there, uh, it's mostly the people that brought me into it. It wasn't, eventually it turned into working on projects that I had some passion behind and I had yeah. uh, I, I, I had a love for or, or, or any type of um, affinity for. But the initial reasoning that I came into any of this was people that I met that I thought were people I wanted to spend more time with, enjoyed working with, um, they they were the catalyst to really drive me into doing more productions. And then from there, I realized how much I enjoy making other people's things come true for them, so, yeah. so to speak. I mean, they, they have the creative vision, but sometimes they don't have the technical know-how to finish it. And so to be able to be that person that fills that void for them, it became very filling, and then the the love of actually doing the things I'm good at when it came to the technical perspective of it became very um, very fulfilling for myself, really. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting kind of like journey that a lot of people don't necessarily like. I went to school for it. Like I've gone through that time, and now I'm in the the freelance kind of the the womb of freelance now, and it's a very interesting interesting game in regards to trying to get new shows and trying to get new projects and and build it but i think that that idea of like i want to work i want to help people fulfill their dream i want to make this i have the technology to to make something a reality and it's also a really funny thing that you brought up um the fact where it's like i want to see i want to hang out with these people more i want to be a part of these things like i think that's very true of today's age where a lot of people are very almost like apprehensive of like hanging out without a purpose if that makes sense so you have like a lot of people where it's like oh yeah no I'm doing the show and it's like well I have cameras like let's make this let's make this a a bigger thing and then you end up growing like your brand you grow your your own like skill set with that for sure and it's a good opportunity to to 
network and play with your friends too, right? A lot of people say don't work with family or friends, but like I'd rather work with my family and friends than work with random random strangers. Like as yeah. much as I do have clients that I don't know them as well as my friends, um, my friends also are event people. And so mm-hmm. it's just really easy to, to blend our worlds together and produce cool stuff together. I think the big issue that I run into anyway with working with friends is just um, not necessarily payment, but like trying to negotiate contracts and stuff like that because it, it is a very it's a very business side of it. And once that's done, then it's all fun and good, but that's still a big process. And I'm sure with a live, with live stuff, there's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people who kind of have to get paid. For sure. I mean, that initially, that first year, maybe even year and a half, two years of, of freelancing and working with friends at the same time, it was really difficult to figure out, do I charge my full rate? Do I do I do a family and friends discount? Do I, like, is it is there a client that's paying for it or is it like my actual friend who's paying for it out of pocket? And I think each time it just became a bit of a negotiation. But at the end of the day, yeah, we have to cover our bills, but if you care about the person and you care about the project and they care about you, you'll find a balance. Uh, you'll you'll find whether it's uh, it, I have to pay my camera op, I have to pay my sound mixer, um, I have to pay for the rentals, and then whatever other costs can then go to profit lines. And in some cases, it was all right. We'll pay everybody else, but you and I, we're gonna work because this is your project, and you wanted to make it happen. Let's just make it happen. Yeah. And those are actually some of the better, I would say, some of the best memories because now you're working not because of there's money, not because there's anything else. It's just you're really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because you're passionate about your friend or whether you're passionate about the actual project itself, those actually end up being some of my more fond memories of of working with my friends and family. Yeah. Yeah, I did a, a shoot fairly recently where I was, um, it was like for like a sketch troupe, which I'd never really done anything like that. And my, my buddy brought me in on it and it was just, you could see every single person on that project wanting to be there. And it makes a huge difference where I, like you can be on a shoot where like the sound guy doesn't care. And then you know that you're going to have to double check with him and be like, hey, was that good? And he's like, oh yeah, it was off. For and sure. I'm like, uh, okay, well let's do it again then and like I've def- I've had shoots where like I'm like okay my sound guy's not here I give him a call and he's drunk and I'm like okay I'm not going to be working with that guy anymore because sure. it's like now we don't have a sound person Yeah. especially with event stuff because there's so many moving parts do you find yourself going back to the same people to help you out oh for sure uh, I have one I think it's a bit of a loyalty to your mm-hmm. friends who you've worked with I, I tend to call everybody I work with a friend at some point, and uh, I think that team building and that that experience of doing a full show from whether it's start to finish or they come in at any period of time, doing that production together really forms a type of bond that you don't always get in other fields of work. In office settings, for example, you may not have that team bonding moment. Uh, and so I would say, I definitely go back to those who I've worked with in the past, and if they're available, great. If they're not, you know, I'm actually very happy for them that they're doing, you know, that they found. They're busy. Them. They're busy. Yeah. That means they're, that means they're working. That means something's gone right in the last time since this since we worked together. So I'm happy for them. Yeah. But I do prefer actually to work with people that I've worked with in the past. Not that I'm not open to new new people, but you know what you can expect yeah. from people you've worked with. I think it's reliability at the end yeah. of the day. I think that like when I've done stuff through school, like. 
there's not the same reliability because it's first off, it, you don't know if they care about the project or not. And secondly, you don't know what their skill set is unless you've worked with them before and you don't know if they're going to be giving you the 100% that they sure. should. And that's the issue with not, I think that's the big thing with, with, with not being paid is if they care about the project, then you know you're going to get a really, really amazing um, thing out of them mm -hmm. like in regards to skills. Um, I wanted to ask you then, because you've been doing it for a few years, what do you think is the biggest skill that you've kind of learned going like as you've been kind of going and getting more gigs freelance? Uh, I would say organizational slash patience. Mm -hmm. Like those go hand in hand. I think organizationally, I wasn't an organized student. I was not an organized uh, advertising professional for the most part. Uh, a lot of stuff, even still today, a lot of stuff's in my head and not on paper. But I realized with events and live streams and just working in this, in working multiple projects at one time, if you don't write things down, very easily things get lost. Uh, but along those same lines, if you, the practicing of patience, if you don't have patience for certain things to develop, and you try to rush through some stuff, it's not gonna. It's not going to come off the way you hope it to. Yeah. So I'll say those would be the two biggest ones. And they, they do, for me, go very hand in hand. You kind of need the patience of making sure everything's organized and then letting those. Yeah, like go. taking a breath before you start a project to be like, for sure. do I have the energy and the people to do this or the funds to do this as well? Um, this is kind of a weird question, but I, I, I wanted to ask a lot of my guests going forward, like, if you did have a big chunk of cash like to make a project, what do you think is like, the project that's like just out of reach in regards to like making it happen. Is there any like passion project that you've really been wanting to do for the last little while? Uh, without getting to specifics, I would say a, something that that's a goal of mine for the near future would be to produce a stadium-sized event. Mm. Uh, personally, I would love for it to be an impact community-driven event, whether yeah. that's something like We Day or something like the Social Innovation Conference. Uh, something that definitely just has a social and community impact, but in in a grander scale. Yeah, so just scale would scale. be the biggest thing. Yeah. That's interesting because it's like not necessarily a lot of people like they have like their passion project is like a short film or something like that. Or like with you, I think it's just like you kind of want to just build your skills. You want to keep doing what you love, right? Yeah, I think it's going to sound corny, but I, I just like helping people. So like when you asked the question, there wasn't a, a me thing right away that was like, oh, I have this idea. It's mostly other people can come up with the ideas. I am just happy to be a part of it and help execute it. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, it's it's. I think other people have very uh, ethically and moral projects that, that are making big impacts in our communities and I would love to see those progress a little bit more. And, and you'd love to help it. make them progress. Yeah, help help make them progress, help scale them up to to reach tens of thousands of people rather than a few hundred to a couple thousand people, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess then the the big thing is cuz you're you're talking about the ethical um, ideas of like making projects that really matter and really count. Um, and then you also are being very humble right now when you're talking about wanting to help other people versus help your own ideas um, because other people, at the end of the day, other people's ideas are what makes your work worth it, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you, the, the whole point of this podcast was talking about getting to the point in my own life where I feel like I deserve people to listen to these ideals and listen to these stories and listen to these people and actually get something out of it. Like I hope that 
the people like go away from this and like patience and organization. Those are really, really amazing skills to have. But um, I want to chat with you about the imposter syndrome, which um, I've talked about a bunch on this show, but for if this is your first episode for some reason, um, it's basically the idea where you feel like you're an imposter in your own life. I wanted to ask you, because I think this is a really interesting uh, viewpoint on it, is do you find that because you work on other people's projects so much and not your own stuff that you sometimes take a step back and you're like, I don't really feel like I am deserving of all these pr- of all this praise, of all this attention when it's someone else's idea? Yeah, 100%. Uh, a lot of times they'll give that shout out of like, oh, yeah, and thanks to the production team and Wilson and like whatever. And I'm, I'm always just like, Nah, like I don't. I I didn't do anything really. It's like your idea. It's your baby. You've you've put months and months and months into this, and I've come in on like the one week ahead of time and done just this little bit of work to mm-hmm. actually make it happen. And even beyond that, it's it's just the imposter syndrome of I didn't go to school for this. I have no real professional training to do this. I I happen to now know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. But even today, like for the first year, definitely. But even till to this day. There are projects that come up and I go, the answer is yes, I will take it. And yes, we can do it. (laughs) Do I think I deserve this project? Maybe, maybe not. Do I think I actually know how to do this project? Maybe not in the moment I say yes, but by the end of it, we'll get there. Yeah. But there's a lot of like doing it on the fly and then figuring it out on the fly. And that's... That's, that really causes that imposter syndrome to, to, to spike. I think a huge thing with it, too, is like when you do a shoot that doesn't go well, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, man, this this could have happened at any of the other shoots. I, I just got lucky. That idea of like thinking that you got lucky, that's something that, that plagues me a lot because I did um, – a shoot and it was like a, it was a reshoot of another of another videographer and they're like oh but you're so good compared to them and this this and this and I'm like I don't know man like I'm trying my best <laughs> and and it's just like they're like no no you're such a great person to work with and that sucks when someone gives you all the that praise because you're like well now I have now I have to follow through now I have to actually like do that right and especially when you're working with someone new and other people are praising you, 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 that standard goes so much higher. You know what I mean? Especially when it's people you care about. Yeah, it, it, when the praise comes from people you really care about, it, it feels really, really good. But there's also an element of, like, I cannot let you down now. Yeah. Which I, I like being known as someone who's reliable and dependable, but there was a period of time where I wasn't, and I would be given a project and I couldn't finish them because mm-hmm. I didn't either have the technical skills and I said yes to a lot of things and then couldn't actually execute. And that also leads to now, will that person ever even want to talk to me again, let alone do, like definitely they're probably never going to do business with me again. Yeah. Will they even want to be my friend anymore? Uh, and luckily, those are all learning opportunities for me, which not everyone gets those opportunities. But that definitely f- feeds into that the anxiety and the um, the the thought of not being either good enough or not having the skills or not deserving of the the praise and or even the opportunities that you get sometimes. Yeah, no, it's definitely like an uphill battle with a lot of the time, um, especially because you're doing live stuff where. It is an instant. It's something can go wrong really quickly and something can go right really quickly. You can have a really great moment. It's like, I can't believe we got that on film or, we can't, or I can't believe we got that on the stream. Um, 
were there any moments where you were like kind of sitting there and you're taken taken aback and you're like, okay, I did everything right, everything worked out, and I feel good about it? Like, are, are there do those moments happen often for you? Not during the live stream because I think most of those times I'm either video switching or sound mixing or I'm doing something where yeah, I'm very still present. There, yeah. Still very present. I would say like the hour after we do teardown where I'm just sitting in the truck or with the other producers or with the other crew members and just going, hey, yeah, we just did that. We, we just didn't, we, we, we knocked that out, whatever, whatever it was a shoot or a live stream or an event or a concert or whatever it was. You, you have that core team that gets to hang out for like an hour after everyone else leaves. Yeah. And you can look at each other and you just have that smile. Yeah, you're like, just smiling. You just smile. Like, yeah. and you're like, eh. <laughs> There's not a lot of words. Like the one thing I'll say, are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah. It's like, holy shit, we just did that. Yeah. Like that's that that's that moment. I say it, like those who work with me know, I'll, I'll, I'll just turn around and be like, holy shit, we just did that. Another one. You know, the no, DJ Khaled, the DJ Khaled, another one. And yeah. But like, because it's the same, like I do work with the same crew a lot. So it is, we just did another whatever it was, yeah. whether it's an event or a concert or a live stream or whatever. And I think when you have that crew, it makes it a lot easier for that imposter syndrome to kind of melt away. And you just kind of enjoy the fact that you actually did some good work. I find like there'll be shoots where like I just did it by myself and it was like a, th a three camera setup and I had to switch between the cameras and all this other stuff and we got like amazing stuff and I was looking at the footage and I'm like this is great and I'll just be sitting at like Jerk King at like one in the morning just being like ah, I did it I guess <laughs> I did it I can't believe it and everything kind of just falls into place you kind of feel like Han Solo at the end of, uh, of, of New Hope you're just like whew we let's just go home. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. When you have a team, it's so much easier to have like those the little voice in the back of your head that says that you're not good enough and says that you're not really doing it. It it's blocked out by the six other people who are giving you high fives and patting you on the back. Yeah, that definitely definitely contributes to to reducing that anxiety as well as the the imposter syndrome. I I actually, to be honest with you, I don't think I take a lot of solo projects anymore. Uh, even if they are quote unquote freelance solo, yeah, I will ask to say, hey, can I bring on one or two? Do we have the budget for one or two people to come on? One, because I want to make sure I can bring people onto all my projects. But two, it it, it alleviates the stress on one person because yeah. if you're doing three cameras, I, I actually applaud you for doing a three camera, yeah, whatever live stream or or shoot because that's a really difficult thing to do. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And like I would never at this point in my career, I would never agree to do a one person three camera setup because it just it wouldn't. One, I would never feel like I would be able to execute that at a high level. Yeah, it, it, even like two cameras, it's tough. Yeah, you're running, you're, you're trying to frame and you're trying to make sure like all the buttons got pressed and you're also trying to make sure, like I'm sure, I'm sure you had to do audio that day too, so you're trying to figure out levels and levels of depth of technical skill yeah. that the client probably doesn't even notice. Mm -hmm. And they're paying you whatever they're paying you and they just think, cool, yeah, he's doing his job or she's doing her job and it's, it's not a thought of, Oh man, that's actually five people's jobs to yeah, do. Exactly. I should have brought in at least three or four more people to do it. And you'll get a better product out of it too. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing is is like what like like take out the fact that it's easier with more people. Yeah. Take out the fact that you're gonna get a better product. When you think about it, like just the idea of having someone else you can rely on to for be sure. like, I can see out of the corner of my eye that stopped recording. Hey, 
can you just run over there yeah, and hit record sure. again? That's huge. For sure. That is so huge having that reliability. And like when you're working on these huge projects where it's like this is going to be an event where there's like 60 or 70 people even like as on the smaller end having other people where you can be like okay there's a lot going on there's a lot of moving pieces no one cares about what especially when you're doing video no one cares what's going on they only care that it works right no one's checking into being like hey are we good they just start and you're like okay we're ready we're going and done yeah so i definitely like i definitely agree like having a team makes a huge huge difference um, so going forward then, I think this is kind of the the end of our time, but going forward, what kind of projects can we see from you? Like, what are you working on that you're kind of, like, excited? Is there any kind of a shift in what you're working on and the project you're taking? Or Yeah, I'm taking a little bit more semi, I wouldn't say permanent, but, like, longer-term projects anyway. So they're mm-hmm. not just one day and we're, we're done. So I'm now working on the fun house which is going to be at queen and lisgar okay we open june 1st it'll be a it's a partner project with uh, universal music we're building I think, 15 rooms it's going to be a, ma- a, a choose your own adventure art maze oh cool and uh yeah it'll be it'll be a really cool artist escape and you're going to have you know 3d mapping projections we'll have uh, full, full, inter- full immersive and interactive room. So we, we encourage you to touch things because things will come come to life, and it'll be really cool. And uh, I'm the resident tech at the Annex Hotel, and uh, the Neighborhood Studios in the East End. And then you're also working with Ryerson a little bit uh, with their Transmedia Zone still. Yeah, I'm still here as the technical advisor for the Transmedia Zone. We'll see. I think there's a whole new cohort of members coming through for the summer going into the next fall. So I'll be working with a whole new set of teams. Nice. Starting soon. Any uh, any projects that you or any like exhibits or anything that you, you think people should check out this year uh, or in the next few months? Well, there's definitely going to be an African heritage as well as an indigenous heritage projects that are coming up. Uh, we're we're, do, we're working with Nui Blanche to put together a showcase for Nui Blanche, and we're also working with the museums and heritage services of the section of the city of Toronto. Nice. And we're going to be putting together some cool stuff at the Fort York Museum, as well as uh, a couple other historical sites throughout Toronto. Thank you for listening, guys. Um, I don't deserve a podcast, but I hope I deserve you to listen to some of the past episodes, which are on all of the platforms where you can listen to this. And uh, check out our uh, social media. All the links will be in the description. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Uh, The intro for this show was recorded by Isaac Teague. You can check him out on YouTube under the name Isaac Teague. See you on the next episode.